The Sex Agenda podcast may contain references to sexual violence, sexual assault or sexual oppression. Our listeners' well-being is our priority. Please feel free to tune out if you need to. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to episode four of the sex agenda and oh my goodness what <laughs> Whoa, what a fortnight it's been man it's been um yeah it's really been something um so yeah we should we should first of all how how are you Edem how are uh, you I'm a, I was gonna lie I'm actually not okay <laughs> I'm exhausted I feel like I need a break I need some time off get off the internet, chill, read a book. I've got a couple of books that like I've been reading on a lot for the last six months. I just really need to finish it and I just need some time off to do that. So yeah, apart from that, I'm generally like in good health, but yeah, I'm I'm feeling a bit I'm feeling the pressure a little bit to do some time off. How about you? I mean, I think loads of people will relate. It's a year since um the UK started their lockdown and yeah, we'll We'll get into that again a bit at the end, I think, when we talk about growth. But yeah, it's it's a it's been a hard, hard 12 months. And I understand with like needing a break because myself too, although like I've had to use holiday and had time off, it doesn't really feel like you fully, I can fully switch off or disengage because... I'm just been in like the same place constantly. However, I am super excited because I'm supposed to get a puppy um Ooh. this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's gonna be loads of work. And I look forward to updating people on that roller coaster of a journey. I look forward to the puppy introducing itself on this podcast. That's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so he's called Quill. So hopefully people will meet Quill Quill soon. But yeah, so let's get into like the mess, the not so fun <laughs> stuff. Sometimes we have some fun stuff, but like actually most of it is not not that fun this week. So obviously if people have been in the UK, but probably through social media, people have likely seen lots of the protests that happened around the killing of a woman Sarah Everard um, in the UK she was walking through the park on the way back from a friend's house and was um, attacked and subsequently um, a policeman has been arrested for that so in response to that um, it was announced by the government a suite of measures that were going to be introduced to try and keep women safer one of which was to place policemen in bars and clubs some of the other measures that were suggested include um better lighting on on streets and things like that and that's part of a project that was launched in 2019 called project vigilant so there's been loads of articles about this but the one that i'm kind of making reference to is um from the metro and as usual being our references so yeah um what do you think i mean they say it like spy cops didn't happen, like we didn't have undercover policemen lie, have relationships, subsequently children with like women. And it's like the way that we sort of come out, out of this is not to police even more, like the police are not going to be the solution. What do we do to prevent sexual violence, sexual harassment in the first place? Right? Like, why aren't we looking at before people become offended? Why are we looking at sort of police? Um, I, I I wouldn't feel safe with playing folks undercover police officers and like bars and stuff. I mean, I don't know if people, I don't know if you saw the tweet, a lot of people did really fuzzy tweets about playing police officers and being able to spot them in like bars and clubs, which I thought was like, yes yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, so there were loads of tweets about it where they had like you know playing to his police officers really obviously standing out in the club and people being like well obviously that's a, a police officer I think first of all you mentioned spy cops and I think people should definitely go look that up um we can put some references in if you want but you know a, a quick google will give you reference to articles about that issue and I do think it's a really important thing to bring up because incidences like that 
And we have to think about like this, we're talking about violence against women and those women span women span a range of kind of people of different mm-hmm. political opinions and ideologies, right? But things like spy cops and the fact that Sarah Everard was obviously assaulted by a serving police officer really affects the confidence of everybody in the police institution, which is what we've seen recently. So it seemed an inappropriate response to say we're going to place police officers in clubs anyway, because confidence has been shaken and people are like, well, we feel that you also can be sexually violent because in this specific case, the perpetrator was a police officer. So it seems very inappropriate given the context as well, that it's not going to be reassuring to a lot of people. So it seems a weird response, to be honest. And um, it's, classic, I think- it's classic government, isn't it? Like what we're going to do is police our way out of this shit. Like we're going to lock people up and we're going to use the law as opposed to asking the fundamental question of why people behave in the way that they do, right? It's just, I mean, just lock my- people up and throw away the key. I think, look, from my personal experience, what I find frustrating is that it just really sounds like people affected by sexual violence are not being listened to because Mm -hmm. nobody has, I ever see is asking for this as a solution. I just feel like when it comes to sexual violence, in my experience, as somebody that's experienced sexual assault, as somebody that works with people that have experienced sexual assault, nearly always people are asking for a few things, which namely include like, I would have liked better education at the beginning about like where I could go like with supportive services and what I needed to do for me. Like, do I need sexual health screening? Should I, do I need the emergency contraceptive pill if it has been rape? And then people also are like, obviously want the root issue addressed. Like, why is it that we keep being assaulted and we need to have conversations at an early age and like at school about consent and also just about what leads violence to happen and then we also really need to talk about the perpetrators and be like as much as people like lock people up and things like that people need to be rehabilitated because like we can't first of all sexual violence is so prolific right Mm -hmm. it is so Mm -hmm. prolific um, because we know loads of people are undergo sexual violence and don't actually share it. And the numbers show us, you know, vast majority of women, some men have been victims of sexual violence. Yeah. We can't. We talked everyone. about it last episode, actually. Yeah. Or was it the episode before that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We did. Like, we can't lock everybody up, you know, like, we actually need to talk about why it's happening and try to make these people not assault people right <laughs> like, um people get really cagey about like talking about prevention and rehabilitation but i'm like people deserve and we deserve as a society to like rehabilitate and prevent people from assaulting people like you like we don't really have any other option because some of this mm-hmm. behavior is like so prolific we can't just try to lock everyone up like it doesn't work and loads of people don't report sexual violence so you know I just feel like people just need to be broader in their thinking the good thing is like one one good thing they mentioned obviously was like the lighting and better street lighting as somebody that used to do night shifts and I used to have to come home late I used to cycle home it is extremely scary the state of some of our streets where like they're pitch black, like um, like I've got a tiny bike light and, you know, there's no one around for ages. So I think there's lots to be said about like making, you know, the environment a bit safer Mm -hmm. because people are going to want to do bad things anyway. But like, yeah, I just, yeah, I think we need to start having real support about like the beginning and like yeah. the after stage as well for the for survivors of violence. Yeah, yeah. Our next um, mess topic. This one is not so mess, but maybe it is mess. Is um, an article independent in the Independent, um, and it's about how the pandemic triggered 1.4 million unintended pregnancies. 
basically meant that 12 million women lost access to contraception in their UN study. And this is, I, I guess, like, this is a, a, a prime example of, like, the thing we talk about all the time, reproductive justice, right? Like, this is a clear example of, like, a reproductive justice issue in which, because of our terrible lack of access to services, a pandemic happens and, like, completely exacerbates the situation. It seems like, you know women and girls and other people, just basically anybody that would need, like, contraception and sexual health services get forgotten or, like, the sector or the services are late to responding, right? Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Annabelle. Yeah, I mean, there was... The, the response was, like, just really disappointing, to be honest, in that what happened is, obviously, we know that, like, with the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of panic. It's a situation that's never happened before. People weren't really sure what to do. But we spent so long being, like, sexual reproductive health is essential health care. And we really yeah. need to, like, treat it as essential health care. So when a pandemic came along, it was really actually quite shocking how quickly people shut services, redeployed yeah. staff, and treated it as unessential in comparison to like all other services, you know. Right. So with the second lockdown in the UK, things have been better, but there's still been lots of staff redeployed, stripped back services and things like that, which is understandable to a degree because people shouldn't be meeting as much. So you should have less demand. And invariably there has been some reduction in demand, definitely. But I think when it comes to things like you know, the reproductive side, contraception, unplanned pregnancies, a lot of the time, these things are still ongoing needs, there's a lot of, again, domestic violence happening, and people, you know, not being coerced into pregnancy, not being able to access contraception. And I just feel like a lot of that was like, a bit of an afterthought. Um, And then people were like, Oh, no, we can't shut services. Oh, no, you know, we need to think of other things like telemedicine, it was all just a bit bit disorganized so I'm not surprised that on a global scale when we know that a lot of um, other countries have far worse sexual reproductive health services than in the UK that things have got even worse like we talked about Venezuela last week and the situation with contraception there and yeah it's always just like an afterthought and mainly just because of like the demographic of people that require sexual reproductive health do you know what I mean like yeah the, the people that require sexual reproductive health overwhelmingly women often young people often poorer people because as we know the wealthier you are the more you will pay for private health care regardless of the system of like free access or whatever so a lot of the time people are just like oh you know they'll figure it out so it just I think it just reminds us that when we come out of this pandemic those messages where we were like our SREH is essential and we thought like everybody had accepted what we meant by like (laughs) essential care we actually need to now when we come out of the pandemic really reflect on the fact that we thought everyone was on the same page because there hadn't actually been a crisis exactly that we there hadn't been a crisis so we assume that when we said oh srh is essential care and everyone was nodding their head and being like yeah you know it's essential we're funding the (laughs) services are open we thought that if an emergency happened people would be like oh yes srh is essential care yeah essential we have a responsibility to keep these services open but no that's not what it meant it meant it's essential until something more essential comes along (laughs) (laughs) that's what they meant (laughs) exactly that's what they that's what that's what that meant so you know covid's taught us a lot of lessons um a lot of a lot of horrible things have come out of this but like a lot of reflection to be done going forward a year a year down the line from the UK's own lockdown so the independent um have done a story um as part of international women's day 
talking about how we really have to start to centre women at the heart of government's health strategy and actively start to discuss it, cite certain statistics, um, such as women are 50% more likely to receive the wrong initial diagnosis for a heart attack, and they are twice as likely to be affected by dementia, and just some of the gender disparities that we see within um, healthcare generally and how we, you know, we need to start taking a look at that. Often in decolonizing contraception, we talk about health disparities that often exist because of the stereotypes we put on people, you know, like women being able to manage more pain. So like, how significant is that when we think about, you know, something like endometriosis taking eight years to diagnose, for example, right? And like, we need to understand how like people construct the ideas about like, gender and like you know you you being stronger or you being weaker in some respects and why you can't have stuff and you know there are significant disparities particularly around heart attacks and how they're managed for for men and women and it being taken kind of like not recognized early enough so yeah it's good to see some of this like uh, making its way into conversation and people starting to see that we need to make active attempts to highlight how there are these kind of like gender gender disparities. Yeah, so there was stuff in there about the underrepresentation of um, females in both scientific and health data sets. And then it talks about um, some of the key areas in which policy really needs to look at. And it talks about productive health, aging and racial disparities. It's like some of the research that um, Professor Kevin Fenton did around COVID last year um, around the disproportionate impacts. And I guess like what I'm getting from this story really is that, you know, for a very long time, women have sort of been ignored in the medical field. And what the pandemic did is exacerbate the problem. So the strategy moving forward has to really try to address what some of the historic problems are, coupled with obviously reproductive health particularly, but like the report said, um, racial disparities in order for us to move forward or if, like the inequalities we currently see are going to get even worse so um, I think it's a very um, interesting article I really hope it's, it has fits in it from the UN and stuff and I really hope the government take this very seriously but we know that mm, nine times out of ten they don't and with everything that's happened with COVID and the fact that it's had effects on the economy for example and the fact that you know once we eventually get out of this we're going to see some economic difficulties like globally what are governments going to choose to spend their money on and I feel like we're going to have to be fighting in the future for like healthcare services to continue to be funded particularly in the UK given that we've experienced you know about a decade of austerity already you know I think we should be ready for putting up a fight to make sure that services are kept services are expanded um, in the coming future. I think it's a really important reminder that also we'll link in the um the references that people should fill out the women's health survey um which touches upon all health for women and we think it's really important that people understand that this information will be used to kind of like plan services for the future so you should put your experiences into it it's a government survey and we'll put the link as i mentioned in the references it's open for 12 weeks so 11 weeks now because i think it was launched on international women's day but yeah really important that you do that Really excited to get into the next section. We have the amazing Fatima Derby joining us. You're listening to The Sex Agenda. excited okay so today we're being joined by Fatima B Derby pronoun she they who is a queer feminist writer and organizer based in Accra Ghana she manages and occasionally contributes to the award-winning blog Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women where she writes about sex and body politics from a feminist perspective Fatima is a co-organiser of the Young Feminist Collective in Accra and a co-founding member of The Gathering, a space for LGBTQ women and non-binary people to collectively unpack and navigate their identities and experiences in ways that are empowering and restorative. And yay, I'm just so happy to be welcoming you (laughs) onto the sex agenda because yes, we love all of this. 
and your work is amazing. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. Hi. <laughs> so, so for our listeners, I, I actually know Fatima. Um, she's a very good friend of mine. And I'm just really pleased to have like my two favorite babes on the podcast hashtag hey. blessed <laughs> I'm, I'm just so excited to be virtually meeting you and yeah your work is just so inspirational so that was just a little a little taste of what you get up to and I'm just wondering yeah can you tell our listeners kind of the journey and what led you to entering the space that you're currently working in the work that you're doing I think for me the journey has it has been short, really. Um, I think for me, I only like really started doing proper activism. And by proper activism, I mean like really getting into the space and like actually doing like, you know, specific actions. Um, that was in 2018. Um, I had seen on Instagram that Drama Queens, it's an organization, it's a theater organization in Accra, but like they do like activism, right? But it's mostly through yeah. like theater plays and then they occasionally organize speakeasies and like, you know, conversations and, and things like that. So I saw on Instagram that they were running a workshop, a film, filmmaking workshop. Yes, it was called Queer Universities. And basically they were asking people to apply and I, I'm not a filmmaker. I've never done anything film. I just like previously, I just been writing fiction. So I applied and then I got in. And then when I got in, I was, I think for me, that was like really the first moment that I was like, like really and properly introduced into like LGBT organizing. Right. And, and I think just any kind of activism and, and organizing really. Because it was at that workshop where, you know, as part of the activities, we would have like conversations with like other feminists, we would speak to writers, we would speak to filmmakers who are like, you know, making activist films. And then I was like, wow, this is like really cool, like really cool stuff. I mean, aside all the things that I was learning with regards to like filmmaking and writing, but even like, you know, understanding like like really understanding feminism, really understanding theory, like feminist theory, queer theory. I was like, this is really cool. And this is also stuff that I've never, I've never really like been exposed to prior because in 20, 2018, I had just come out, I'd come out of uni um, and then I had done my national service as a TA. Like I literally did not have like any political education <laughs> whatsoever. I was just like, oh, this is an English major, you know, doing English things. And so that was really exciting. <laughs> Not English things. <laughs> yeah. That was that was really exciting and it was really eye-opening. And even for me, it was also very affirming like this is who I am and I'm learning a lot about my identity. I'm learning a lot about you know the ways that I've been interacting with society. That's like that not affirming or do not uplift me, you know, and so learning ways to push back and resist. So basically it was like, it was really a liberating moment for me. And so it was at that workshop that I decided that, yeah, this is going to be my life's work. I'm going to do activism. I'm going to seek out activists. I'm going to look for people to mentor me. I'm going to just like really get involved. And so, um, really that was where it started. And so it was at that workshop where I kind of like started building my network. And I was really like initiated <laughs> into activist <laughs> space. <laughs> she said initiated. Oh. Yeah, okay. I was initiated into activist space. You know, I met Nana Dakwa. I met Akosia Hansen. I met like a lot of the other like feminist activists in Ghana, and that was really where my journey started. And I've just been doing doing it <laughs> since then doing the doing things the sins, doing the things doing the things <laughs> thing. so i basically found fatima on like twitter i think a couple of years ago i was really interested in like trying to like interested in following people who were really talking about things that were happening in ghana right so fatima became one of those people and i was like basically like 
endeared to her like what she was saying what she was doing you know I was just like wow like need to support and then this is really embarrassing the first time I met you yeah I was too shy to come and say hello I messaged you after and I was like hi was it that protest with you and you were like oh why did you come and say hello and I'm like I'm shy. You know, sometimes when I say I'm shy, people don't you, believe. Me. Well, you know, you did say hello because I remember you. You had like you, you, you had you had dyed your hair and you were standing in front. Right of the you were standing in front of the march with the the thing, the microphone, megaphone. <laughs> and I was like, she yes, get it, girl. She says she's shy, but she always has the mic. What's really the truth, Eminem? What which one is the truth? Oh no, she she sounded like somebody who had so much experience. Standing in oh, front you, of protest, holding oh, yeah, a microphone, you really sounded that's like. That's what I it. did for uni. That's what I did at uni. Like the three years I was at uni, I always tell people like I didn't actually go to uni to do uni. I went just, to uni to like do politics. Just really. do havoc. Just create and make noise. Havoc. Like literally, yeah. that's all I went to do. But yeah, so um, I think we, sh- we should segue to um, adventures from. So adventures from the bedrooms of African women. You were shouting out Nana earlier. It's basically like a blog, an online blog of which African women talk about their sexual experience in amongst many other things. And I remember discovering it and be like, holy moly, where has this been my whole life? Because you just do not see African women talking so openly, so candidly about their sexual experience. And for me, it was even more shocking as somebody who's like, worked in the sexual and reproductive health field for about the past decades and you know Annabelle we talked about this with Phil in like the second episode of the last season about how sexual and reproductive health has become unsexy right we don't talk about the pleasure the excitement all of that stuff it's become completely sanitized so I want you to tell us a bit more about the blog how you came to be involved the dope ass people that you like work on the blog with the festival you guys had last I'm gonna stop talking now <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so so, um, Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women was founded in 2000. And I want to be very clear. So, so the blog was 10 years old in 2019. So if you do the math, that's yeah, 2009. Yes. Um, so... I just left school. I just left school in 2009. <laughs> yeah, it was founded in 2009 by Nana Dakwa and Malika Grant. Just basically, you know, for them to like kind of give other women the chance and the space to speak about the experiences, you know, over the 10 years until now. That's basically what the blog has been doing. But in 2019, the Adventures Festival, actually, it was kind of a thing that Nana had said, Nana and Malaika had said, you know, we're 10 years this year. So why don't we do like a live conversation? Because Nana had been wanting to do it for a really long time, you know, where it's not just like on the blog, but to actually gather people and have these conversations in person and also get to network, expand our community and things like that. So at that time, I was already working with her on the blog. And so she was like, oh, Fatima, what do you think about this? I was like, oh, it's an excellent idea. And so she was like, great. Then we're going to put together a working group we're going to find other feminists, queer people, activists, you know, ask them to be part of the working group. We're going to reach out to, you know, activists and queer people, feminists, like across the continent, right? Because Ad- Adventures is very pan-African. Yeah, in the way that it operates and the people who we consider as a community. And so it was important for the festival to reflect that. And we did. And it was really exciting because in... 2019 was really the year that I was also coming into like, you know, understanding like socialism and communism. And I really saw that play out where people were just like pitching in, you know, I'll pay for this. You know, I can do this. You know, I have this as my skill. I can do this because, you know, again, at the time we didn't have like funding and we were like, oh, we don't want to ask like donor money. So we want to do this on our own and see if we really can. So we're just going to like rely on goodwill from our community. And so that was how we pulled that off in 2019. And it was really exciting. It was it was really great. It went really well. I was well. so sad that I missed um, it. Literally. Yeah, we had like over a hundred people in attendance. We had feminists coming in from Senegal, Haiti. Yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> it's all I can say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were enjoying. 
I'm honestly so jealous. Like our festival, we had to cancel it because of COVID and um, there's nothing better than like being able to get together with your community and like learn together and like learn from each other. Like were there some best bits for you that like you took away from from the festival that you were like that was that was amazing so the festival like now is a thing that we run annually so we organized it in 2019 we also organized it last year but because of covid we had to you know modify the structure of the festival and then we're also like we've just put together a working group to organize for this year so over the years the things that i've taken away from from the festival festival is like really the strength and the power in community because it's always so amazing to me the way people are so like eager and excited support right to support their their knowledge their skills their network resources you know stuff like that for me it's really important as an organizer i'm like wow this is really cool um the other thing that i've also really taken away from is like really the importance of like inclusion right in organizing spaces because i think one of the things that we've really tried to do we've been very intentional about doing is making sure that we include as many people from as many different groups as possible and so because of that like people people really feel that adventures is like is a safe space for them you know like regardless of who you are and what you identify as you know so that's really like one of the like one of the key things that i really taken away and that or the aspects, right, that I really like about adventures. Thank you. So, like, I feel just, yeah, I just feel like in all that you've managed, because I know it's so hard for something like adventures to kind of exist when you're, like, pushing against, like, the status quo. And the fact that you've kept things going for, like, a decade is really, really phenomenal. So why, I think you've kind of already said a bit, like, why do you think that platform is necessary and how do you feel the needs and the asks for that platform have changed like over the last few years Hmm. why it's necessary for many reasons first of all just because of the way that you know african women's sexuality is like really policed you're not supposed to talk about sex you're not supposed to talk about the fact that you're enjoying sex. <laughs> you're, you're like you're not supposed to. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to talk about. And I'm like, why? The thing is nice. Why should I not say that? Yeah, it's nice, if it's you know? sweetie, if it's sweetie, why should you say it's sweetie? You? Exactly. So we're not supposed to talk about you know sexual. Like even if you're not having sex, you're not supposed to like be sexy or feel sexy. I mean, you're supposed to do it, but, like, you're not supposed to be aware that you're doing it. You're doing it. It's so ridiculous, you know? Like, like there's so many things that you're not supposed to do regarding sex as African women. And so because of this, like, there's very, very little, like, awareness, really, about sexuality, about safe sex, about sexual health, about reproductive health. And, like, it seeps in, right, into the, the general construct of society. because now. You know, <laughs> there's all kinds of things happening, right? Like, particularly with young people, young people are having all kinds of sex that is, is not safe. They're not empowered to, like, if it, like, in Ghana, let me tell you, in Ghana, if you go to a pharmacy, something that I've witnessed before, when I was in uni, mm-hmm. I was I was in the pharmacy, I was buying something, and then there was some guy who was also there who was trying to buy, um, what's that thing called? The morning after pill, right? Mm-hmm. He was trying to buy it. And what the pharmacist did to the guy, I felt so bad for him. So so already the guy was really shy and he was just like in a lot of the pharmacist was shouting, You're buying what? You're buying what? And hey. the guy's like, Oh, it's like, eh, I can't hear you. And now everybody in the pharmacy is looking towards the counter. And now this guy is like posting or two. Eh, you went to have sex, Abby. You do not use protection. Now and I'm like, bro. Why? And and like the guy was really embarrassed. He was so embarrassed. And like and like this is the kind of thing, right? Like we live in a society where people are not expected to have sex, or even if you're having sex, you don't have any resources, right? You don't know. And if you if you even manage to you know, you do your research online and you know what to do, there there are not enough systems in place to support you to 
to provide access to things. For instance, you cannot even get an abortion. You know, you have to do like a lot of underground things. It's just like a whole black market situation. And I'm like, why? What's going on? You know, so it's really important the place or the position that adventure has and the kind of work that we do, like, you know, disseminating information, also kind of like really demystifying sex and sexuality, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, like letting people know that it's okay to talk about sex. It's okay to use words like fuck and whatever words that you want to use. Like, it's really okay for, for you to be sexual. It's okay for you to be not sexual. It's okay for you to be anything you want, you know, and be able to speak about it and not be afraid of, of harm. Right, one hundred. So. Sorry, I just wanted to pick up on because I know Edwin's bursting with questions. I just wanted to pick up on like one comment that you 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 made about that story of that man being shamed in the pharmacy. First of all, that happens like everywhere, right? Like especially with the emergency contraception, because there is still so much stigma about what people should and shouldn't be doing with their bodies, and people obsessed with other people's sex lives. But interesting that that was actually, you said, a man that went to go and get that, the pill. And I think, you know, how much worse that would have been if it was a woman presenting for that emergency contraception. If that is how he's behaving <laughs> for that man, I can imagine that the, the level of shame and would have been just ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, and that's probably why he went to go and get it potentially. And <laughs> the outcome was yeah. you know, what you would expect. There's there's a long way to go, but you guys are definitely, definitely doing doing the work. Absolutely. And you don't shy away from talking about pleasure, from talking about the most intimate things that can happen between two people in, in like, you know, a sexual experience. And I just think that, like the blog is so funny like the way you guys you just make it so chill so funny I remember like there was this one I think Malaka Malaka wrote it and it was about how to give like a blowjob and like the different type of penises and like what you should do so that you don't end up like straining yourself and hurting yourself like techniques and stuff and it's just not things that we talk about in sexual health right like when I go to a session I'm like this is what to do to prevent disease this is what to do to prevent pregnancy and the rest is between you and whoever you're doing it with right like that's all we get sort of like contracted to do and what the blog does is go even further particularly for like a group of community for African women who live in so many countries where that even that basic provision that like I get to work and give people in the UK doesn't really exist right like none of those things exist so I think you guys are doing like an incredible incredible job I want to ask you what has been the response like obviously I'm massive fangirl over here but what has been the response to the blog I know ultimately like online and stuff a lot of the people you engage with are overly positive but you know just from your experience what has been the response like when someone's hearing it for the first time like what are they thinking what's happening if you have any stories we'd like to hear it so for me personally for most people they're curious right but then they're also in awe Right. So when I tell people, you know, I work with adventures and this is what they do. I mean, obviously, there's those men who like immediately assume you are some sex therapist and they're asking you for tips. And I'm like, no, don't hmm. come to me for that. Right. But for the most part, people are like, oh, that's really important. Because the thing is that at the end of the day, if we're all going to be honest with ourselves, like this is it's information that we need and it's conversations that we, we need to have. We can't have at home with our families. And we cannot necessarily have it with our friends because our friends, just like us, are also products of society. (laughs) And so if you're not lucky, your friend will say some really judgmental thing to you, you know. So the response that I get mostly is people are like grateful that this space exists. You know, even for conservative people, like my mother, for instance, like when she first found out, you know, about it. So, oh, let me give you the story. So like last year, right? Last year, my mother insisted, like, she was like, please, can I come to you? I remember this. Right. I remember this. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, you want to come? Okay, then come. And so she came to Adventures Live last year. Last year was two days. So at, at the end of the second day, she was like, oh, she's really, you know, she was really grateful for the space. And that even though she felt embarrassed, 
by some of the things because you know we had an art exhibition and there was like nude photography and all kinds of like erotic art she was like she felt embarrassed and very self-conscious but she also realizes that like that space is really important and it's also making her having to think back about just the way that she has raised me and even like upon reflecting she's realizing that all the tools that i needed right to grow up into like a a functional team, you know, at that time, she did not give it to me. And now she's wondering, where did I get all that education? And I'm like, you know, the internet. And then she was asking me because now she's raising my niece. So my niece lives with my parents. She's like eight years old. And she's like, oh, you know, my niece, sometimes she's coming to her, asking her questions. And the boys in the class are saying this and that. And she really doesn't know what to say because she's also really aware that times are changing. And she's also really like focused on, making sure that my niece gets the information. But she's also scared that you you give the person the information and she'll go to school and say the things that her grandma said. And then the teachers will say the grandma is teaching her bad things. And I was like, this is exactly the point of it, right? Like, if you have the conversations, then the school is forced to have the conversation as well. But it's just really interesting because my mom is like really conservative, very Catholic and all of that. But even here, she sees the usefulness of the blog and the space. It's just that, because of her own background, she may be like a bit uncomfortable with the openness with which, you know, some of these things are, are discussed. But at the end of the day, everybody, they're going to be really honest with themselves. They really realize like the importance of the space and they're also grateful for it. That is such an important thing because, you know, a lot of our work often is for, you know, younger women or younger non-binary people in this age category but it also resonates outside that and I was giving a workshop almost probably a couple of years ago now because we've been in this lockdown panini press for so long but um (laughs) (laughs) it was it was a workshop um, mainly just aimed at everyone but it was a, a event for African African people and one of my friends' uh, mums came, so one of my aunties came to the workshop, and I was like a little bit nervous because I was like, "Oh, I'm up here lecturing!" Like, obviously there were people of her age group there, but I didn't really know them, and this is like my auntie, right? And afterwards, you know, since she's been following us on social media, and she said to me afterwards, she was like, "You know, this is really important." Again, you know, Catholic, much more from a conservative background, you know in her in her 60s now but is was like no this information is really important thanks for like doing this you know and they come into this space and they realize the usefulness of it all and appreciate and can see being older how this information now would have really armed them against some of the things that they didn't understand or even suffered you know because (laughs) some of our mothers really did actually suffer through lack of knowledge yes you know and not knowing what consent was like what they should be saying or doing and what was normal so it is really great when you have that or even whether they're enjoying or even whether or even whether they're enjoying the sexual experience exactly I really love the focus that Adventures puts on that, right? Because, like, because even with our like very conservative cultures and backgrounds and stuff, I think to some extent, on some very basic level, people acknowledge that sex happens, right? And if people want to do like the abstinence stuff, all of that stuff, that's fine. But like, once you get married and you're in a relationship, what then now? Like, what? Do, how do you know what you like, what you don't like? If you're enjoying yourself, all of those things. And I feel like the blog is like incredibly empowering and i'm just like super grateful to like nana and you and all the team that put it together because it's just amazing so fatima i know we're just like completely raving about you but like for us to return back to being constructive again um for people that are listening or have friends that you know write and stuff can you just tell us a little bit about who's allowed to contribute and how people can get involved so it's pretty open we're always receiving submissions from african women right or even like regardless of if you live on the continent or in the diaspora just basically african women and gender non-conforming folks um all you have to do is email your submission to us as adventuresfrom at gmail.com and wait, that's it, all right? Yes, adventuresfrom at gmail.com. And we would read and we'll do a whole 
editorial process with you and then you know basically that's it so anybody at all can send in the submission and it doesn't even always necessarily have to be like a article long form piece you can send us questions right and we'll just do like a post about it and then we'll have people respond to your questions so it's just like basically like an interactive space you can share your experiences or you can you can ask questions um i would also ask for people to go onto the blog www adventuresfrom.com and just basically get some more information on what the submission criteria is great yeah, well, all of this is gonna be in the um the references oh God, references <laughs> when you, you need to sleep yeah <laughs> um, all of this is gonna be in the references we'll, we'll link it all on the website and so you don't um, need to remember everything that fatima has said now fatima I can't let us finish this conversation without drawing some awareness and having some kind of conversation about what we've seen in the media recently regarding the attacks that have been happening on your community in Ghana and what's happening and what people should be doing to support and where things are at now. Is there anything that you can share with us about the situation in Ghana? So just brief context for people who are listening but are not aware. Basically, what has happened is that the government, in conjunction with religious organizations and the media, are really cracking down on the LGBTQI community in Ghana. A community center that was opened, you know, to provide resources, administrative support, to serve as a temporary shelter, things like that for the community was closed down um and now at the moment there's some mps in parliament who are trying to get a bill passed that would like really because right now the 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 law that we have regarding you know homosexuality is not very clear on on what is like criminal what's not criminal and so now they're pushing for the law to like really define what particular activities count as homosexual conduct who right define who a homosexual person is and now push for like criminal um what's the word repercussions right for people for just being queer but also they're also trying to criminalize lgbtqi advocacy so that we can't even speak about it again and that's like clearly unconstitutional so basically what they're doing is like clamping down on on queer people but also clamping down on freedom of speech freedom of association and things like that. And so far, there's about 30 MPs in Parliament who are who are sponsoring the bill. So it's a really, really, uh, it's scary. It's a really scary situation. It's really important for people to to be aware of what's happening. And for people who are looking to support, you can just be on the lookout for LGBTQI communities, organizations in Ghana that are organizing around supporting members of the community. Um, there's LGBT right lgbt plus rights ghana and then there's some other organizations that i don't want to name because of safety rights but i would name also silence majority ghana i've been doing a lot of work at silence majority ghana with regards to like really getting people to be in solidarity with the community because at this moment it's really important for for people to be in solidarity right because some of the things that the the, the religious institutions and the government is pushing is to say, oh, this is something that Ghanaians don't want. But there's some Ghanaians who want it, right? And there's some Ghanaians who, 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 who openly advocate for LGBT rights. So silence majority particularly were like, no, this is not true. Like, don't, don't put your homophobia on Ghanaians. It's you people that you're doing it. It's not Ghanaians who are asking to do it on behalf. So there's that. Um, I think also it's just really important for people generally to say things like I stand with the LGBT community in Ghana, right? Because they're really trying to paint this narrative of LGBT people are alone and they're doing whatever they're doing on their own. And like, you know, you're an anomaly and, you know, that whole kind of narrative. So it's really important. I think earlier Earlier in, in um, last month, there were like solidarity statements that were coming across from many institutions, individuals from the UK particularly. Um, that was really important for the community, first of all, in Ghana to know that, you know, you're, never, you're really not alone and people 
across the world have your back. The solidarity statement that we had started, you know, we started a solidarity statement um, at Silent Majority, and we got signatories from like, you know, across the world, like people in Kuwait and Indonesia were signing, were signing that statement. So, and it's really important because people need to know, not even just the community, but also the government needs to, the eyes are on them. People are watching them. So if they try any fuck shit, you know, it's not like, it's not, it's not something that they're going to be doing that nobody will see. So like solidarity is really important, very crucial at this moment. So people can donate, people can, you know, try and educate themselves on what's happening, have conversations with their family, with their friends. If you're an influential person or, you know, influential people, get them to take a stand. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, um, make sure that silent majority statement I signed is um, it's all going to be in the reference sheet. LGBT rights plus Ghana also have a fundraise on GoFundMe. We're going to link all of this in the reference sheet. So definitely people should click on the link and, and support. And I know for a fact that if it wasn't for COVID, we would be out in the streets protesting, but obviously we can't do that because we've got to be safe. But I think that it's honestly been really like humbling and inspiring to see people you know sort of come round, use their platform use their voices to speak out and you're right like the situation in Ghana like when I listen to the radio and I watch the tv and I see you know like a few days ago they did fasting and prayer right to like rebuke LGBT people like and they had like a whole host of you know supposedly media partners supporting them you had you know all these um heads of churches that are multi-million dollar industries right that make their money off ordinary Ghanaians here basically coming together to abuse and further marginalize a community has done absolutely nothing to them and you've got to be like yo you people need to take a mirror and look at yourselves right so yeah sorry emotional it's such a such a I mean it's a life or death situation so you know of course it's going to be emotional at the end of the day and I saw how animated when we touched on that topic um Fatima you got and you know I can't (sighs) emphasize solidarity as you mentioned enough because we all have these issues that we're kind of like fighting and it's really important when other people um stand up for us and it even if it doesn't like feel like somebody's giving you anything, just like the recognition that your message is resonating um, outside of your context can give people kind of strength to like continue their, their their plight and their fight. So yeah, really important. And we'll link everything in the references just to kind of round up because would love to keep you all evening, but shouldn't. Can I just have a few points from you about what you think needs to happen to improve sexual reproductive health generally? And then also, can you just tell us what you yourself are working on currently and point us to any, you know, work that's coming from you in the next kind of few months? Hmm, it's plenty. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> the first thing is access, right? Like really increasing people's access to sexual and reproductive health services. Like I was saying earlier, for instance, like, you know, abortion is not really accessible, safe. So people end up having to go to all kinds of places, get abortions that kill them or, you know, just like really cause some very serious damage. Um, so really access to sexual reproductive health services in terms of like even like HIV, AIDS testing, getting like medication, other kinds of like, you know, sexual health issues, like basically access. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I think for me, th- there needs to be a lot more education around sexual and productive health. I know that a couple of years back, I think it was in 2019 or 2020, you know, they had tried to introduce the co- comprehensive sexuality education um, and Ooh, it got shut that down. Was, that was another fight. It got shut exactly. down by the same people it, that are attacking. By the, the same people who who are who are pushing homophobia right now because what they were saying was, oh, it's going to teach children to be trans, and just like a lot of really you know stupid things that they said. But really, like that education is really important because like there's so many people who have no idea. Like they have no idea what to do if you 
you get into trouble or you need like help, they don't know where to go. Like even currently in Ghana, for instance, like organizations or institutions or clinics that offer certain specific services, they do it on the low because they don't want the government to come and close the clinic down because it's illegal or, you know, stuff like that. So really like a lot of access is important a lot of education is important there also has to be like policy right like policy to ensure that people are able to get the help that they need um the support resources you know things like that there has to also be training people who provide services right some of them really like mm-hmm. you'll be going for hiv testing and at the clinic the the nurse there is is judging you asking you why you do not abstain from sex before marriage you know, stuff like that. And a lot of that is like people who don't know how to divorce their own personal opinion from the job that they are doing. And that's really important. Like that's really important because how are people supposed to trust the system if the system is violating them, right? So those are some of the things that I think are really important that should be done to sort of improve sexual reproductive health, you know, services and care. Thank you. And that was so comprehensive. You're obviously speaking from a Ghanaian context, but first of all, it reminds us how bad some access is in other parts of the world. And I think people often forget when we have access to things like, you know, safe abortion, that what it really looks like in reality when those things are taken away. But then also some of those points you raised are really universal. Like I'm so passionate about people understanding health policy because I think loads of people don't understand what policy is and like how it just like removes people's ability to access services like by being badly written or purposefully bad (laughs) and so yeah thanks for flagging that so yeah just to round up if you could let us know what you're kind of working on and what what um, the next few months hold for you what I'm working on really, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on at Adventures right now. Um, I said earlier on that we have, we put together a working group to kind of like plan and organize this year's festival. So that should be happening in in November, right? But we would start like, you know, in October. Yeah, October, November, you know, run the festival from October, November. Also, we've been working on a podcast. Um, that we've spoken about <laughs> adventures podcast and we'll be launching this year as well um so that's also something yeah we're working on also um yeah then then we also recently how do you say we started a fellowship program a writing fellowship program just to give other people like the chance to really learn like you know learn and also improve their skills their writing skills but also specifically like feminist writing writing about sexuality writing about sexual politics and things like that so we'll be announcing who the fellows are um in the coming week and yeah really that's what it is and also just like organizing stuff really keep up with what the silence majority Ghana is doing basically yeah amazing amazing I wish I had some sound effects but I don't (laughs) (laughs) honestly amazing like all rounds just like killing it um and just thanks for um granting us your presence and like being here and just yeah you're doing great stuff and just like keep your head up keep doing it yeah like solidarity from across across the pond from me thank you thank you so much for having me here thank you this week's quote section I was going to find a quote and do something you know by somebody you know like we usually do we reach backwards forwards and we like grab quotes from um, inspirational people or sometimes we just chat about something we've read or seen but this week right um featuring my lovely friend Annabelle you're gonna be like what are you doing and I was on Twitter this morning and I saw a tweet you put out and it really touched me so I'm gonna read the tweet and then we talk a little bit about it so you said sending love to everyone who has been on the edge for the last 12 months I felt that bit 
had <laughs> to those who are grieving but still manage to wake up and continue through another day speak to someone we are going to get through this yeah yeah I mean I just feel like the pandemic has been so politicized and we have been in this really high pressure chamber of the pandemic and loads of like political events Mm. right and undoubtedly you know you know there are political aspects of the pandemic and the situation you're in I think sometimes you just have to stop and be like you know we are all human Mm -hmm. and we're all just trying to get to tomorrow and there's been huge amounts of suffering in the last 12 months for a lot of people from a lot of different places and lives and backgrounds and I think we sometimes forget how much people have suffered and people are still suffering and actually how incredibly difficult the last 12 months are like I haven't seen my family this year as a lot of people haven't and I'm incredibly close to like my family Mm. and it's really hard you know like it does start to be a bit like you know for a lot of people Mm -hmm. how much longer can this go on for and I'm in a really fortunate position because I get to still go to work and I still get to do this Mm -hmm. and I still know that my bills are paid I haven't lost my job Mm. you know I haven't really lost anyone close to me and unfortunately within our collective that is not true for like a lot of people and at the beginning of this pandemic loads of the DC collective were really questioning how they were going to pay their bills as Mm -hmm. freelancers and I was there with a job trying to think you know like what we could do to like fundraise and like support people and I didn't know how long this was going to go on for Mm. so I remember those conversations (laughs) yeah yeah, you know like so much has happened in like the last 12 months that it feels like I've like lived 10 lives Mm. Mm. (laughs) you know like yeah and I just I feel like it's gonna be you know a really long time I still think until life gets back to normal and it's never going to be like the same as it was lots of people have lost people Mm. and lots of people have like just through the events of what happened see the world's like completely different place Mm. so much other stuff happens that's like not even the pandemic Mm. and when we come out of this people will realize that you know they've been through trauma (laughs) you know I don't yeah I don't think like it's hit some people fully yeah Yeah. because I think a lot of people like me like they're busy they're coping they've got loads of stuff to do like you get on with it you get on with it you keep doing things and then like a year a year and a half even maybe two years down the line you're gonna look back and be like you know what that was really traumatic (laughs) experience so I don't even think like anything you can say about what we've experienced in the last 12 months can like ever do justice to the range of experiences Mm. and the heartache and and even when I looked at like the other things going on last week like you know the anti-masker protests and like people and all of that kind of thing at the same time I'm also got to have compassion for people that on the other side because a lot of my friends have been working tirelessly during this pandemic and exhausted mm. you know one of my friends unfortunately did quit her job because it was too much for them and mm. they were being asked too much because a lot of their older colleagues couldn't take on the work that they were doing mm. but then I also look at the other trauma right some people in those protests have lost their jobs can't be on furlough mm. are experiencing poverty mm-hmm. and that narrative really of like wanting to get back to work and wanting this to end and thinking that like it isn't important for us to implement this and this has gone on too far like I understand how that is a really liberating idea for them also because they've Mm -hmm. experienced trauma you know Mm -hmm. like there's just been so much trauma through the pandemic that I really just 
yeah, I'm just like, I don't think I can, we can't necessarily cast judgment on how people cope. Yeah, I think we have to have understanding, perhaps even if we don't agree, even though I might not go on an anti-mask protest, I think that we have to try and understand the kind of thinking and the kind of environment that gets people in those spaces and gets them thinking and seeing the world that way. And yeah, I, I think you're right. Like we've been through so <laughs> we've been through so much the last year. Like I'm not even gonna lie, like yesterday I like reactivated like my online like therapy because I was like yeah, we need to go back because we're having some feelings. We're feeling some type of way that we're not able to manage. And I, I think that what your tweet resonated with me is also for those of us who are like, well, oh, actually, I don't think I'm okay. Like, I'm trying to process this, but I'm not. And like the thing you said, speak to someone. Like, it's recognizing that you're ready to talk to somebody and finding that someone. And then it also made me feel really sad because, like, not everybody has somebody to talk to and might not have somebody that's quite understanding. And I thought about how our health service is really stretched. And I think that, you know, the effects of this, all of it, like, you know, I was talking earlier about like the economic and stuff, but like you're right, like the physical, the emotional, the trauma is going to stay with us for a very long time to come, and people are going to need support for a very long time to come. And yeah, it's just weird, isn't it? Like, there's no other way I can't think of any other word. Like, it's like unprecedented, it's different, it's weird. But um, yeah, like you said, all of these things were like another part of me was also like, you know, well, yeah, we're going to get through this. We can like you know we're strong we're resilient we're gonna get through this as you just said there and just to reiterate you know not everyone has got through it and as somebody who has people around me that experience really poor mental health I cannot emphasize and that was the point of the tweet like you really need to talk to somebody mm. and if you can't talk to anybody in your immediate circle then you really need to reach out to third sector organizations like Samaritans and whatever and try to start getting that support that that you need and yeah just remember you've made it so far because Mm. we've been doing this for 12 months and you're an incredible human right because no one no one's ever had to go through what this year has has been we is unprecedented as as Edem said so i hope that the episode gives kind of a bit of i mean we can't really reflect wholly on this year but i hope you know that people have taken some time to reflect and obviously we'll be sharing this with you next week and we will be a week further along um in this in this pandemic and yeah hopefully you continue listening to us we also now have a survey for people to feedback about the topics that we've um discussed um, and give us some feedback so that's going to be in the references on our social media so please please fill it out and let us know how we're doing and if there are things that you want us to discuss as we go along and yeah just thanks for joining us for um, another episode yeah I just want to say you know I don't really think I would have got through this year without you so I love you girl thanks for being there I love you too it's mad <laughs> with this person that I haven't seen I haven't seen in over a year yeah love you love you too